All right, good morning. Um, if you were here last week, um, I introduced this sermon on abundance by sharing some funny and even some tragic stories about people who won lifetime supplies of something or people who won big in the lottery. So if you missed that, you can listen to the recording from last week. Um, people discovered that they had storage issues or that they quickly developed a distaste for their prize not long after winning a lifetime supply of bar soap or candy bars or hot dogs. Um, many folks who won the lottery regretted ever having won after experiencing relationships that um, turned sour or just the emptiness of how greed left them feeling. Um, so we considered together how having a stockpile of even a good thing could be at least overwhelming and at worst could turn out tragic. Um, so we talked about a story from the Bible where the Hebrew people were wandering through the desert after they were freed from slavery in Egypt and how God met their needs by providing manna from heaven every day. Um, just like that life supply time of hot dogs, which aren't you glad I reminded you one more time, you just had that disgusting thought out of your head. Um, but just like that lifetime supply of hot dogs, the manna that God provided didn't have a great shelf life. With the exception of the day before the Sabbath where people could gather enough for two days so that they could savor a day of holy rest. Um, if they gathered more than they needed for the day, they would find when they woke up in the morning that it was smelly and wormy. Um, so from this story, we learn that God is able and God desires to be the provider of our daily bread. And by daily bread, we don't just mean physical food or actual bread. Our daily bread is our daily enough. So it's our daily supply of whatever we need to make it through and whatever we're going to need again the next day. We don't have to be smart enough or rich enough or organized enough to stockpile in order to have our needs met. We simply have to stay expectant and connected to God, to perfect love as the source of all the things that we need. So we had all of our kids here last with, with us last week, so the message was pretty simple, and it was framed from a place of positivity. Um, God is the provider of our daily bread. But the reality is, is that I came to be standing here in front of you speaking about this today because last summer when Brad and I first talked about my doing a sermon series, my mind went directly to thinking about the part of my life where I feel the most needy and I feel the most efficient in. I picked a topic that I was most desperate to understand and most desperate to have beating inside me like my own heart. I'm not here to talk to you about abundance because it's this area that I excel in and that I just have been living in this perfect mindset of abundance for so long that I have all the secrets to tell you. Um, in fact, I'd actually say that my expert status is what I would identify as the exact opposite of abundance, and that is scarcity. If abundance is never-ending daily portions of enoughness, then scarcity is never enoughness. Always experiencing a shortage or always experiencing the fear of a looming shortage. Scarcity is a feeling of, I've got to get mine because there's not enough to go around. <clears throat> scarcity is that hamster wheel of working and striving without ever arriving at a place of rest or enoughness. So I think I'm probably like every other person in this room and every other human who has ever lived in that there are two questions that I'm always asking myself. The first question is, will I have enough? And the second question is, am I enough? And scarcity was always answering these questions for me with a resounding no, no, 
you won't have enough. No, you're not enough. Now you can adapt to that first question with any variety of nouns, and you can adapt to that second question with a whole host of different adjectives, and eventually you are gonna find the one that pierces your own heart, the particular soft spot where scarcity likes to jab at you. So let me poke around a little bit, won't that be fun? <laughs> Just close your eyes and listen, and focus on how your body responds as I give some examples of the kinds of things that scarcity likes to say. There's simply not enough time for me to slow down. We'll never have enough money. I just don't have enough emotional reserve. I can't seem to muster up enough energy. I really don't have enough patience for this. There won't be enough grace for this big of a mistake. I don't have enough power to make a difference in this broken world. Or the second question, I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough, I'm not beautiful enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not disciplined enough, I'm not a good enough mom, I'm not a good enough dad, I'm not a good enough friend, I'm not a good enough housekeeper. You can open your eyes back up. Even if you live a relatively comfortable life, Keep pondering, and eventually, I think you'll figure out where that voice of scarcity tells you that there isn't enough or that you are not enough. For me, I find that actually all the past evidence of day in and day out having my needs met has little to no bearing on the expectations I hold for the future. In fact, having my needs met in the past is the exact reason why I'm so sure that my good fortune and God's good grace is going to run out on me, as if I've used it up already. If you know me very well, you know that I've been the recipient of some pretty zany and amazing gifts from God, and I have a lot of wonderfully loving people in my life, and yet every single day I struggle with this lie of scarcity that tells me that I'm not going to have enough and that I am not enough. So there's a story that Jesus tells that I really, really love. Even when I find that I struggle with the Bible, this is a story that keeps pulling me back in. And I think this story does a really good job of answering these two questions um, and telling us something about who God is. Uh, it's a story that's sometimes called the lost son or the prodigal son. I've also heard the story referred to as the prodigal father, and we'll get to that. But for our purposes for this week and next, we're going to call it the story of the two brothers. Because I think that what we observe about these two brothers and the, what their loving father does for them and says to them, helps us to answer those two questions and answer them abundantly. Will I have enough and am I enough? So we'll get to the older brother next week, but today let's start and we're gonna read about the younger brother. And this comes from the book of Luke chapter 15 in the Bible, starting with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is a pretty popular story, so there's a chance that you've heard it before, and if you spent a good chunk of your life in church like I have, you may have heard a dozen different sermons on it already. There's so many rich aspects that we could focus on. Um, The fact that the son asking the father for his inheritance was tantamount to saying, I wish you were dead, all I care about is your money. Um, The fact that the Jewish audience listening to this couldn't think of a more detestable occupation than taking care of pigs, which they were forbidden to even touch. The son being prepared to come back to his father's household as a hired hand, believing that he had totally blown his sonship, but hoping that maybe, maybe he could just be a fair wage employee. And one of my favorite aspects, the fact that it was entirely undignified for the father to run out to his son. That the father who saw his son coming from a long way off because he had his eyes ever out for him and his hope set on the the possibility that his son would return. So can you picture, you think of those robes whenever you've seen the Bible story, whether it's the flannel graph that you saw growing up or even the videos we watched last week, people are all in these long robes. Can you imagine the father hiking up that robe so he can run and take off on the path to get to his son? The younger brother in this story thinks that he has blown it. He squandered all the riches that his father gave to him, and his assessment of himself, the story of how he thinks the world works and what he deserves is that I'm no longer worthy to be treated like a son. He has a speech already ready to plead his case as a servant since he's sure he doesn't deserve that son status. But before he can even complete that speech that he's been practicing, the father interrupts him. The father already starts ordering up a top-level wardrobe and a celebration. My boy is dressed like a servant, but he's my son. Quick, let's go get him the clothes and the shoes and the jewelry that signify who he really is. And this is why some people call this story the story of the prodigal father. You see, prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully and extravagantly. And it also means having or giving something on a lavish scale. So where many have told this story and focused on how wasteful the son was in his days of wild living, the real, over-the-top, no-expenses-spared character is the father. Even after the father had given the younger son his share of the inheritance, he was still prepared to lavish him with food and clothes and honor. From this interaction, we see two things about the father, and I think it shows us two things about God and the universe that God has made. First, The father is not interested in his son's plans to earn his place, which I think tells us that God is not interested in our striving. 
The father doesn't even let the son finish his speech about how he plans to earn his place of belonging in the father's household. Apparently, the father is just not concerned or impressed with whatever efforts the son has to offer. I don't know if you have this idea, but I certainly struggle with constantly with this mindset that God resents having to take care of me, that God needs me to be able to do with less so that I don't need so much from him. That whether it's by good behavior or good planning or meager expectations, God can be most glorified when I'm acting right and not needing his grace to rescue me. Or that if God has already been generous towards me and I've not been perfect with the gift that God gave me, God's going to hold out and he's going to say, that's it, you already got your allotted allowance and goodness. I think maybe if I get my act together for a while, then maybe I can return to a place where I would expect God to come through but I certainly don't deserve to be treated like an honor daughter straight out of my pig slop living. I live so many days of my life trying to be a good servant, desiring God's favor and care and goodness. But this story provides a different narrative, and it's one that I so desperately want to live by. According to this story, God is not looking for servants. I know that sounds like a terrible thing to say in church, right? Are you expecting lightning to strike me down right now? Could it be true? Could God not even need or want you to be his servant? Right now, if Melissa's somewhere, she's really glad we already got those nursery volunteers before I <laughs> preach this sermon. But listen to your thoughts and listen to your body in the response to that idea. Some of us might need to sit with this for a while in the days to come. We imagine, or in some cases, we have been explicitly taught by our faith upbringing that without a strong sense of striving and duty, we will ruin our lives through wild living like the younger son. But it's fears like that that cause us to set our sights low, to say, I'm not quite sure I measure up to child status, but I think I can muster up good servant behavior. The father did not want his money back. He did not want a useful servant back. The father wanted his child back. Right? True? Good news? I know some of you are still struggling with this, right? I am. Even as I say it, I'm struggling with it. In your mind, you're saying, but, but. Because we think we can squander and waste beyond God's resources, we think that by self-discipline and good servanthood and meager expectations, we can make sure God doesn't have to spend too much on us and run out. When we say it like that, it sounds pretty absurd, doesn't it? That God's just going to run out. Like God is on a tight budget. The father in the story does not appear to be worrying about the budget when he orders up robes and a sandal and a ring in the feast of the fattened calf. And I think that tells us the second true thing about God and the universe that God has created, that God is wealthy enough that he can afford to be wasteful. If you think about it, there are so many stories from the Bible that demonstrate this wastefulness of God. All that ungathered manna that melted away in the sun every single day, the huge cisterns of the finest wine that Jesus provided at the Feast of the Wedding of Cana. The baskets of fish and bread left over after Jesus fed 5,000 plus people from a small boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. The parable of the workers who showed up at the last minute, but who were still paid a full day's wage. The expensive perfume poured out on Jesus' feet in the time just before he would go to the cross. The fishing nets overflowing with a catch that caused the nets to nearly break. 
And even if these were just stories, even if we could not verify them, we see the evidence of God's glorious wastefulness all the time. Here's some examples. Nature itself demonstrates abundance. When was the last time you fought over oxygen? Is there enough sun? Is there enough shade? Having to buy apples three pounds at a time from the grocery store and then having to throw one or two out that goes rotten emphasizes scarcity in my mind. But then I haul my family out to go apple picking every fall, and I can't help but notice that nature sure wastes a whole lot of apples on the ground beneath each and every tree. Nature often produces so much of something that humans can't even begin to contain it, let alone consume it. Or how about this? Ever heard of the mantis shrimp? Anybody ever heard of a mantis shrimp? You're going to like this. If not, you should go listen to the Radiolab Radio Lab podcast episode about the mantis shrimp. Um, humans have three photoreceptors in our eyes, red, green, and blue. It allows us to see the spectrum and the detail of all the colors that we see. Dogs only have two, and so they can't see color nearly as well as us. And birds have an impressive four photoreceptors, so they can see, in addition to what we see, also can see ultraviolet light. You know how many photoreceptors the mantis shrimp has? Anybody want to guess? Twelve. Twelve. Good job. You cheated, didn't you? Folks, we are living in a world made by a creator who gave the mantis shrimp living on the ocean floor the ability to see colors with the variety and the precision that 12 different kinds of photoreceptors provides. What kind of an over-the-top creator thought that that was necessary? Scarcity is trying to tell us the story that there is not enough, but God's universe tells us differently. Scarcity is a lie. Abundance is the truth that is beckoning us to believe and agree and live accordingly. I think a great way to think about God's wastefulness, wonderful and, wonderful and redemptive wastefulness, is really captured well by a talk I heard recently by author and seminarian Jeff Chu when he talks about having a rich theology of the compost. Jeff is studying at Princeton Theological Seminary within, specifically within a program they call the Farminary. So yes, that is a seminary on a farm. It is a, it's 21 acres of land where, as their website describes, like adept agrarians, Christian leaders learn the pastoral sensibilities of nurturing seeds, persisting through seasons of slow growth, promoting bountiful harvest, and holding life and death in reverent wonder. That sounds pretty amazing, right? Who wants to sign up for the farminary? So seminary and Jeff Chu has found a special appreciation for a particular spot on the farm, the compost pile. Here's how he describes it. We need compost, and it's being made at our pile. To me, the most beautiful place on the farm, just past the garden fence. I didn't know much about compost. Now I know it preaches a hundred Sunday's sermons about death becoming new life, the, about God's abundance, about all the things that seem useless. Moldy fruit, eggshells, coffee grounds can become rich soil. Jeff has some more amazing insights about the compost pile, and if you want to hear the best of them, you're going to have to come back next week when we talk about abundance, answering that question, am I enough? But for this moment, let's think about how compost takes what, must, uh, what otherwise would be wasteful, and it cultivates life. 
those rotten apples beneath the apple tree, dying and giving their lives back into the ground, and they become the nutrients recovered in the next season's harvest. The eggshells and the coffee grounds and the other rotting foods in the compost pile, all of the things that are too good for us to manage efficiently or all the things that seem too worthless to keep, all those things end up belonging in the cycle of death becoming resurrection life. The younger son's wild living could not undo his sonness. It didn't knock him down to servant status. It was just the eggshells and the rotten fruit that produced the rich soil for more good fruit to grow. I love that God is such a prodigal, too much, too lavish. Our wastefulness plus God's wastefulness always equal abundance and enoughness. Now I confess there is one potential hitch in this system, something that anyone who's thinking critically right now will notice right away. I can argue before you that God's universe is one of abundance, that God is a God of abundance, but scarcity still seems to be the reality of many, many lives in many circumstances. You know this to be true because you know people that are living in this world, people living in this neighborhood, people in reach of my voice right now who are suffering and struggling because of absolute, undeniable lack of enough. These are people who don't have enough food or people who do not have clean water. They're people who do not have a loving family or do not have healing for a disease. Despite the abundant nature of what God has made and intended and despite the abundance that is available through connection to him, scarcity reigns in lives and systems all around us. How did this come to be? Richard Rohr, an author and Franciscan priest, says this, America's unhealthy economics and politics persist because we largely operate out of a worldview of scarcity, which leads to actual scarcity. There's not enough land, healthcare, water, money, and housing for us all, and there are never enough guns to keep us safe. Let me repeat the key phrase there. We largely operate out of a worldview of scarcity, which leads to actual scarcity. God created this abundant universe, and God offers God's self to us daily as a source of enoughness. And yet, because we fear that there won't be enough, we hoard and we judge and we consume and we stockpile actual scarcity into existence. The fear of there not being enough creates not enough. Do you know what the beauty and the good news of that is? It means that just as we have the power to materialize scarcity out of our fear, we have the power to trust in God's abundance and materialize it into real life abundance. Now, before I start sounding like a name it and claim it prosperity preacher on TV asking to send that, send that love offering in, um, let me explain. I'm not suggesting that we just wish abundance into, be, into existing through positive thoughts and words. I'm suggesting that our attitudes of either believing that God is wealthy enough to be generous through us will start to open us up to experiencing God's abundance in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us. Think about it this way. We have a planet that has an abundance of water. Agreed? Two-thirds of our planet, right, covered by water. And yet, some people on our planet suffer from flooding, while approximately 842,000 people on our planet die every year for lack of clean water. We live on a planet with enough clean, drinkable water. But it is sometimes distributed 
in the form of floods, but not distributed to others by drought. So what we have, whatever we don't have, so what we have and whenever we don't have abundance is simply a distribution issue. If distribution is our problem, then distribution is likewise our solution. And we can all, each and every one of us, be distributors of God's abundance. That's the next fill-in on your bulletin, that distribution is how we spread God's abundance. In giving and in receiving, we open up a flow. You can think of scarcity as being sort of like a blockage, but God's abundance, but abundance flows and allows God's unlimited goodness to flow freely. Through the story of manna and through the story of the prodigal father's lavish care of his son, we know that God desires to provide enough. We know that love's way is not for humans to stockpile to secure their future, but instead to come open-handed each day, ready to receive our enoughness for the day. So I want to challenge you to think about the area where you feel lack of enoughness. Maybe think of an area of your life where you already have used up God's favor, you think. Believe me when I say and act as if it's true that God, is God, God in God's abundance does not need you to act as a servant, but desires for you to be cared for as his beloved child. Imagine what you might do or feel if you really believed in God's abundance rather than scarcity in that part of your life. If you think you don't have enough time to rest, maybe take a nap. If you think you never have enough money, maybe you find um, a way this week to give a gift or make a donation to a worthy cause. If accepting help from someone makes you feel powerless and indebted in a way that you worry you can't repay, maybe you just simply receive. So just do that thing. Do that as if action, as if abundance is true and real and enough, and see what comes of it. And send me an email this week and tell me what happens. And come back next week to hear more, and it might be one of your stories that we're sharing next week. Let's pray together. lavish, over-the-top, abundance-producing God. We love you, and we are so thankful you are how you are. We are so thankful that you continue to be that way, even when we're not aware and we are not taking advantage of how good and wonderful and generous you are. So would you convince us in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies and our whole beings that your abundance is the reality and would you give us the courage and the insight to see that scarcity is a lie? And would you make that real in our flesh and blood embodied this week? Help us to do this together as a body that works together and encourages each other and let us sharpen and um, make each other excited by the stories that we share when we begin doing this as a church and as a community. So we thank you. We pray these things in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.